Wait, so you put some of you in your headphones, like monitor style? Everybody does except you. Everybody does except me. Yeah. Oh. And and like the idea of not doing that is like horrifying to me. <laughs> I for sure don't do that. I mean, like <laughs> going back to the original Bell telephone system, uh-huh. they it was made more like complicated by the requirement that people need to have monitor to be able to have a better conversation to be able to hear that you have you hear yourself really oh yeah all phone calls you can hear yourself what (laughs) okay fun fact on all (laughs) phone calls you can hear yourself (laughs) fun fact every day on twitter thousands of users send tweets to nowhere nope fake news no uh nowhere tweets they these tweets uh cannot be read by anyone except the sender and there's no way to tell oh are these people who get who get shadow banned so actually probably that is also true for anyone who's shadow banned i don't know much about shadow banning on twitter uh i know that other social networks have used that with various success um i think did we talk have we talked about shadow banning on the show before i don't think so this is the idea that someone gets banned, but they don't know they're banned and they can't tell they're banned. So it looks to them like they can still post and it looks like their post went live, uh, their tweet went live in this case if it was Twitter, but no one else can see it. But then just suddenly people stop responding to you. And so often people who are shadow banned do notice once they know that there is such a thing as shadow banning. So then right. there's an extra level, which is hell banning. Do you know what hell banning? Hell banning. No. You've been sent to hell. Yes, you do get sent to hell. If you get hell banned, that's when you are shadow banned, but you can still get replies and interact with people who are also hell banned. What? There's like a, oh my, there really is like a, like a concept of all the worst people all can talk to each other. Right. And the reason. That seems like a bad idea. Well, there's pros and cons. So I think this originated or the first time I saw it, I think was Slashdot or one of these like late 90s, early 2000s internet forums where they didn't, they weren't really thoughtful about uh, maybe this will, will have external you know consequences to the community they're just like we when we shadow ban people now that people know shadow banning exists they notice that everyone stops responding to their trolling and so they're like hey i must be shadow banned and then they go check and then because you can create another account and then see oh can they see each other and you're like oh i was shadow banned so i guess i just create another account now and so the nice thing about hell banning is that you keep getting other people responding to you and so it's not very obvious right obviously the downside is that you whatever awful things got you banned are probably now being amplified they're being ultra concentrated into right. this like vial of hatred and, and yeah. horrible troll when behavior. was the last time you went to slash dot by the way um i would say like at least like more than five years but maybe not quite 10 years ago and out of the one that's like i think that still exists let me check if you go there right now a it looks basically the same I mean, it's been updated. Oh, yeah. No, it's way more same than it should be. Yes. And B, Three Mile Island Nuclear Plant is closing, which is kind of amazing. Oh, hmm. That is kind of, it's kind of amazing that it was still open, but then. I know. And also kind of amazing that it's closing and just like the whole thing. But yeah, I mean, Slashdot was a big part of my life like 20 years ago. Yeah. When I first started reading it, it, it would have stories like Linux version, whatever, to introduce such and such. And I would be like, hmm, what's Linux? 
Yeah. Because yeah, I was like it using was Windows 95 or whatever at the time. And it, it was great. It was like, it really was uh, news for nerds, stuff that matters. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I bet I could still log in too. Anyway. So 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 let's re- unwind that a little. Unwind, hell banning, shadow banning, slash dog, yeah. back to, fun fact, every day on Some Twitter, tweets go to nobody. Tweets go to nobody other than the fact of being banned. So... Um, the issue is around how private accounts work on Twitter. Um, so have you ever, I mean, your your account's public right now. Have you ever worked with or had a private Twitter account? Uh, no, but my wife has. Yeah. And it's fairly common. I think maybe more so in our generation, this idea of having, uh, either your main account be private or you have an additional account that's like private and it kind of, it just interacts with 20 people or so. And then you have your public account that you post, yeah, Whatever. I've definitely interacted with people who have second sort of accounts that are for that purpose that are just like limited and who can follow them sort of mutuals and things like that. Yeah. And so and then another common one is like someone who becomes like a lawyer or uh, something where reputation is really important. And then suddenly they feel like uh, maybe this is not super safe for me to have a public record of all these various potentially, you know, who knows what I've said? Let's just not worry about it. Um, so there's various reasons you might end up with a private account on Twitter. Um, but the way that private accounts on Twitter historically, like in the early days, worked was that uh, you couldn't read somebody. You couldn't visit uh, somebody's profile and see their tweets. Um, but if they at replied you, you could see that at reply. Oh, so they were, it was like they were saying, I want this person to see this. Right. So therefore they should be able to see it. Yes. So that makes sense. Yeah. And it's, in, it's fairly intuitive, but yeah. occasionally there'd be circumstances where someone would have a private account and they would be surprised by, by the fact that if they were like at a pike, you know, you're awful. I hate you. You're the worst. And then. I could see that. No one would ever say this is obviously made up because no one would ever say that. Well, you know, I, <laughs> you accumulate a few en- enemies in your. Um, I don't know. Maybe someone is saying that, but if their account is private now, I don't know because the that no longer works. That it way. no longer works. So they made the change Why? a few years back, um, where if your account is private, it's private, and that means yeah. the only people who have f- tried to follow you and you've accepted their follow request can see any of your tweets. I see. So if you followed that awful person who hated you, you would see that. If they allowed me to follow them. If they allowed you to follow Because them. private accounts, you have to approve every follower. Right, right, right. But if you if it becomes a, a two-way situation instead of a one-way situation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so this change has a privacy advantage because anyone who would be would have created a, or who did create a private account and was surprised by this fact that they say, uh, you know, at whoever uh something and then it's public or the kind of more nefarious thing is like um i can't believe that this at so and so uh said this thing or did this thing or you know you're you're complaining about or calling someone out in your private sphere but when you're at mentioning that person you're not trying to get their attention you're just trying to like tag them basically you're trying to reference you're them. trying to reference them and then yeah, by their twitter handle and that's the way you reference things on twitter right and then suddenly they can see this person who is maybe hateful or a troll or whatever can suddenly see yeah. your one tweet and then you're like i thought my account was private exactly so now that doesn't work that, that way uh, and this has been for a few years now that when you have a private account it's totally private and the only time even if you at reply someone the only time that 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 person can see it is if they have at requested to follow you and you've accepted very interesting 
Yeah, and that's it's kind of a subtle distinction, but it becomes it creates some interesting scenarios. For example, someone signs up with for Twitter that says, "Hey, do you want your account to be private?" And you're like, "Oh, maybe that's prudent." Um, and so it's private, and then you and a friend follow each other, and you tweet back and forth, and you understand, you learn how Twitter works, and you're like, "Okay, great." You know, at a Pike, hey, love the show, that's great, and I respond, and because I I'm mutually following you, uh, but then you say something like, uh, "At Justin Bieber." Uh, this is the, you know, I love your new album. Please respond to me. And then he doesn't respond. And you're like, oh, well, I what guess he's just too busy for me, right? his number one fan. But actually, it's that yeah. he can't see that. And there's literally no way he could know that you sent that message. So you're saying I shouldn't go find him and yell at him. Well, I'm just saying you should make your account public if you're going to. Oh, OK. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, and it becomes worse when it's like. Don't stalk people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the case that like it's kind of more worrisome but well, there's like two cases that are more worrisome than the at justin bieber like honestly it doesn't maybe not super important that justin bieber can see that additional fan message but if it's like at twitter safety hey i have this person harassing me or something oh th- that's important that they cannot see it well it's important that the twitter like someone will attempt to contact a support or uh help. Wait, the support people must be able to see them well but they can't because it's private but, but you don't think Twitter's accounts have a back door on that? I think Twitter was a bad example. You mean like they're contacting Delta or something? Mm, maybe that's a bad example. Maybe Twitter has a, a private thing, a special thing where this rule yeah. doesn't apply to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but if but it's you're, like you're saying they contact like their bank and they're like, "Hey, my my card got stolen." Yeah, again, maybe not a great use of Twitter, right? But somebody's trying to attempt <laughs> to intentionally communicate with a public right. entity that is trying, and then to the make, public entity can't see them, can't see them, and then they feel like they're getting ignored. And that, and I, I found out about this before, where when somebody was trying to at, mention me, somebody that I knew, but I hadn't followed back because their account was private, so. I didn't know what their tweets were, so I didn't know if I wanted to follow them. Um, sure. Because it's like, oh, so and so follows you. And like, for all I know, they just post like hundreds and hundreds of MLM <laughs> advertisements or something, right? Hundreds of I, tweets I, every day. Yeah, just every 30 minutes. Yeah, um, every day, just they've got a clock set up in their house. And I'd feel bad if I followed them. They were excited, but then I unfollowed them immediately. Unfo- <laughs> no one should feel bad about unfollowing people, but that's a discussion for a different that's day. That's a different, you are, that is true, but. My point of all that is that I, I occasionally will see someone say something along the lines of, at person with private account, at a pike, oh yeah, totally, ha ha ha. And I'm like, oh, what? Is this how you discovered this? Is this why you investigated? This is how I discovered this. Because I was like, oh, I know at person with a private account, but what are they responding to? And I click through and they're not responding to anything. Or right. they were. Like, what? This is weird. Why is this? This is creepy and weird. Yeah. And so, and then this has been recently, it's on my radar again, because we have a friend of the show um, who uh, adds fun facts and sends feedback and corrections and stuff via a private Twitter account that the fun fact Twitter account doesn't follow because the fun fact Twitter account only follows you and me. Right. And so I can see her messaging a fun fact as a third party. You can't see it. And the fun fact account can't see it because she's private and I follow her. But fun fact doesn't follow her. And even more bizarrely is that because even though I so because I can see it. And so I try to reply. But then I'm like, well, I want to reply as fun fact. Right. But it won't let me because it's like a fun fact doesn't have the authority to know about the tweet that it's trying to reply to. Oh, you like literally. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's just error. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. These are these are real. Cha- I mean, I think a lot of people out there don't realize when 
how many of these questions that like companies like a Twitter have to confront on a regular basis. It's incredibly complicated. and It's incredibly complicated. You get into it at all and you're like, oh man, I had no idea that there were so many considerations. And like, and there's no perfect use case here because if they went back to the way it used to be, that had we explained what the problems there were. Yeah. And so, so it, sometimes there's just no right solution. But in this case, there is a right solution. <laughs> oh, okay. Never mind. Great. And often there is no right solution and you just get caught in between, you know, privacy right. and security. But you've solved this. But I actually have a solution uh, okay. that they just, that I have submitted as like a, dear Twitter, please implement this like years ago. And, yeah, but unfortunately you're private and so they didn't right, see that. Exactly. And, <laughs> uh and then people are at replying oh ha 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 lol and twitter's like what um, yeah yeah and then they try to respond but there's an error all they need to do to make me happy which should be their number one priority as a company their number one i think we all agree number one is when someone starts authoring a tweet to someone who won't be able to see it indicate that oh just let them know in any way yeah just have any communication like you start typing at justin bieber typing words and then a little badge comes up that says uh since your account is private justin bieber will not be able to see this there is a caveat here what is the caveat the caveat is that if the person is shadow banned <laughs> or <laughs> or hell banned, hell banned. <laughs> then you do not want to let them know that people won't see this is true so it would be only in the non-shadow banned yeah. intentionally yes. private yes case. yes no, I like that. That's nice. Like it, it just should be. You know, they'll do that right when they get around to editing tweets. So yeah, I mean, it's like the it's it's part of the same sprint planning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been on the board a lot, but it just keeps getting moved to the next one. They're a Kanban type organization, and that's a joke for like three people. But <laughs> and all three of you, trust me, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just please believe that I'm very funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a that's a good idea. I like that. Yeah. Let's get that. Let's get on that. Let's get the top people. I want the top people on that. I feel like the number of things that the top people at Twitter should be on. Yeah, it's a long and list. then the things that they're actually seem to be on. Yeah. yeah but they're standing at the corner of nothing and is there something less than nothing <laughs> so <laughs> that's mean but true it's an, it's an, it's definitely an interesting company uh but yeah. if i ever got hired to twitter that'd be my 20 percent time project is... all right so everyone out there in uh fun factors nation yeah if anyone works to twitter please make a thing so people no, let's know. just get alan hired at twitter i thought that's where we're going uh, <laughs> not quite what i was pitching <laughs> No, no, but if you work at Twitter, it's a good idea. Yeah. Maybe. Or let us know why that's a bad idea, and you can do that in a way that we we don't have to out you. We just want to understand why that's a bad idea. Yeah, or why it turns out that that's like actually 80-person weeks of work. Right, right, yes. Because it is very common for non, not only non-engineers, but engineers who don't work at a specific company to be like, well, that would take like five minutes. And then it's like, no, actually, that's a year of work because of historical reasons and the amount of tech debt that needs to be fixed to make that happen is like you know makes makes uh who's the guy sisyphus look and go like you know i'm just the rock isn't so that bad. rock is not worth pushing or the rock or the rock i've got is so isn't isn't that bad yeah yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah okay so was that do you feel you feel solid on that one can we can i can i transition yeah absolutely there's no no better transition than a can i tra- than just asking your co-house if you can transition can i transition <laughs> and that's why we have editing <laughs> that's why, no i'm leaving that in. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be great i have a uh i this is not a twitter fun fact but i will say that if 
the subject of this fun fact had had access to Twitter, it would be a Twitter fun fact. Mm, okay. So his, if in historical context, Twitter had been around, it would have made its way on Twitter. definitely think this person would have used it. Okay. Okay. So fun fact, there was an emperor of the United States of America. Uh, <laughs> is that so? That is uh, that is so, yes. That is a fact. Okay. That's, I, I said fact, Alan. I didn't say, you know... This wasn't fun theory uh-huh. or fun, fun, fun speculative claim. fiction. Um, fun claim. It was fun fact. All right, convince, convince me. <laughs> okay. I, 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 I say I'm skeptical of your claim. Changed my mind. <laughs> well, that's what we're here to do. Open hearts, change minds. So, so Joshua Abraham Norton was born around 1818 to a Jewish family somewhere in England. And uh, his family moved to South Africa when he was like two. And, and it's actually, actually actually a really interesting story, but not part of this fact. And later he immigrated to San Francisco as an adult and was a, a successful business in, a successful businessman, but went bankrupt as part of a Peruvian rice scheme. Can we fork off a request for info on the Peruvian rice scheme yeah, at a that's later date? Also an interesting story, <laughs> but not part of this fact. I think <laughs> schemes get automatic inclusion into the list. Right. Okay. Well, we can come back to the scheme at the end if you're if you're still interested. So in 1859, he proclaimed himself Norton the First, Emperor of the United States, and later also added the title Protector of Mexico. Norton the First, Emperor of the United States. Right. And he submitted his declaration of becoming emperor to all of the newspapers in San Francisco. And one of them printed it with no editorializing. They just straight up like, what, did they give it like, like a headline as if it was a news story or? I believe they did. Yeah. Okay. It, it's it's a pretty good proclamation. Uh, it's uh, It's not super long, but it's not super short. So I'll read it here and then we can see how much we want to keep in. But At the preemptory request and desire of a large majority of the citizens of these United States, I, Joshua Norton, formerly of Algoa Bay, Cape of Good Hope, and now for the last nine years and ten months past of San Francisco, California, declare and proclaim myself emperor of these United States. And in virtue of the authority thereby in me vested, do hereby order and direct the representatives of the different states of the Union to assemble in musical hall of this city on the first day of February next, then and there, to make such alterations in the existing laws of the Union as may ameliorate the evils under which the country is laboring and thereby cause confidence to exist both at home and abroad in our stability and integrity. That's a pretty good declaration. I know, right? So, I mean, you know, it's not, you know, Thomas Jefferson, but it's pretty good. So for the next 21 years, he, at least in San Francisco, more or less reigned as emperor. The, uh, the, the, the officers of the United States Army posted at the Presidio gave him a fancy uniform to wear. <laughs> And he went around inspecting things, uh, cable cars, streets, whatever, and sort of delivering lengthy philosophical lectures. We got like a King Jong-un pointing at things kind of scenario. <laughs> Cutting a river. The police would salute him as he walked by. Yeah. At one point, a citizen militia officer tried to institutionalize him against his mm-hmm. will. I can see how that might be a danger. <laughs> <laughs> People complained to the local papers, and the police chief ordered him released and issued an apology. Ah, okay. Norton, in it, for his part, pardoned the citizen militia officer. Using his powers as emperor. Well, exactly. He issued his own money, and the restaurants and businesses of the San Francisco at the time accepted it at face value to American dollars. Mm-hmm. 
there was there were a lot of anti-Chinese riots during that right. period. It's a really awful, awful thing. But yet, during one of them, he placed himself between the rioters and a group of Chinese citizens. And as emperor ordered the attackers to disperse. And then he bowed his head and recited the Lord's prayers and they left without any violence. Huh. The 1870 census lists his occupation as emperor. <laughs> also that he was insane. Well, but, uh, you know, it's, it's correlated. <laughs> he eventually published decrees ordering the army to depose the Congress because they didn't show up for the meeting. Mm, the important meeting he had called. Right. He declared the abolition of the Democratic and Republican parties with a, in my mind, shockingly prescient, prescient statement of being desirous of allaying the dissensions of party strife now existing within our realm. Which I feel like, yeah, mm-hmm. feel like that, mm-hmm. I wish that one would have would have happened. He, 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 oh, one of my favorite things. He declared a $25 fine, the equivalent of $520 today, for anyone calling San Francisco Frisco. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. he, which I just, that's amazing. I wish that we was a real thing We should keep that up today. with inflation. Yeah. yeah, for sure. He also ordered the formation of the League of Nations about 40 years before yeah, it happened. So that, and that worked. And... The construction of the Bay Bridge, which eventually happened. Uh, When he died, his coffin was led through two miles of the city streets and more than 10,000 people came to pay their respects. Wow. Yeah. There's currently a group of people who are trying to have the Bay Bridge add an additional honorific name of Emperor Norton Bridge. And uh, finally, if you're a fan of the bands Ladytron or Air or the soundtracks to Lost in Translation or The Virgin Suicides... All those releases came out on a record label called Emperor Norton Records, which was named after Abraham Joshua Norton, the only emperor of the United States. Huh. Huh. So uh, I I feel like you've changed my mind. I think I'm definitely on board with this, this Norton having been the emperor. I think that's the, that's the reality I want to live in. I mean, he did emperor things. Yeah. He for sure emperored. As long as we don't too closely inspect the definition of emperor in the dictionary. <laughs> but I think we're good on this fact being factual. I, I just love that the San Francisco of his era just were like, that's cool. Yeah. You do you, Norton. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. You do you. Like, we're going to help you out. Like, that's great. It'd be nice to have an emperor. It's nice to have you as the emperor. He would go to city of chamber of commerce meetings. He, when his first set of fancy clothes wore out, the government gave him another set of clothes. <laughs> like, by the way, if you have any of that money that he printed nowadays, it's quite a collector's item, of sure. course. But he just like, you know, he just he just lived it. He was just that guy, you it's know. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I guess I uh, should follow his lead. Declare myself Alan the first emperor of Canada, protector of Mexico. <laughs> I, yeah, again, Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's still Mexico. No, we're not. We're we're not joking anyone. Canada's not going to protect America. This is no for all the challenges we have in our relations in between the two countries. There's no one joking themselves about our ability to defend the United States. But I could be. I could be emperor. What's better than a Peruvian rice scheme? Right. Yes, this is extremely important that you tell me about this per- Peruvian <laughs> rice scheme from the 1800s. Well, it, it's not. Uh, in the in the it doesn't need to be in depth i just want to know the general shape of the scheme no 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 i'm not going to go in depth but in the in the in the you know canon of of great schemes i'm not sure this is an all-timer but basically uh there was a a rice shortage in china and he heard about a peruvian ship bringing a lot of rice 
to San Francisco, okay. and he pre-bought the entire shipment in an attempt to corner the market. Okay, yeah. But shortly after he agreed to that, a bunch more ships with rice right. from, from Peru showed mm-hmm. up, and the price dropped by like three times or four times what he had made the deal at. Yeah. And he attempted to get out of the deal by saying that the quality of the rice wasn't what he had been promised. Uh-huh. And it the ensuing lawsuits made it all the way to the Supreme Court of California, but he lost and was bankrupted. Yeah, it turns out buyer's remorse is not a legal recourse to not pay the person you bought the thing from. No, but yeah, he was trying to corner the market on Peruvian rice so that he could uh, make a profit by selling it to rice-starved China. Yeah, well, that's also not super great, but, you know... I guess he got what he deserved from the speculative <laughs> attempt to, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, assume that the price of rice is only going to go up. Right. And then his scheme did lead directly to whatever caused him to determine that he was better suited to be emperor. So I he do had a lot feel more like success at the, the emperor thing. So he was right. He really did. Yeah. 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 So I, I feel like, you know, I'm glad, I guess I'm glad this, I mean, for many reasons, I'm glad the scheme didn't work out. Yeah, it was much better that way, I think. <laughs> I think we could all agree. Uh, my next fact is kind of scheme related. Well, I mean, that's on brand. Yeah, it's on brand. I mean, it's, I think. Oh, by the way, sorry. Very sorry. One last, one last point. The, I, I wanted to note that uh, this, there, I'm establishing some new corners. Yeah, we got to have certain corners and places the show can return to where we know that you know, we're comfortable, we're set up, we've got our, our furniture. Uh, scheme Corner is one of them. Right. So people people who are surprising, surprisingly royalty of places mm-hmm. is a corner I will be returning to. Okay, so Unexpected Royalty Corner is one of your go-tos. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Unexpected Royalty Corner is, is something. Right, and I'm so we can put that. that along with the Garburators, the Schemes, WikiHow. Yeah, Garburators, Schemes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wiki Owl, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's kind of the backbone of the show, really. Yeah, indeed. So in Scheme Corner, or at least in um, economic market... Scheme Alley. Yeah, Scheme Alley. Economic uh, (laughs) markets maybe not working the way that people would expect. I have uh, a fun fact about Vancouver. Uh, So, fun fact, housing sales in Greater Vancouver just hit the lowest levels since 1985. Wow, because this is this is for those of you who don't know, this is I am shocked because not that long ago, fairly recently, I would say I'm sure Alan is going to tell us how recently Vancouver housing prices were like at an all time high. Oh, yeah. Just atmospheric. Um, yeah, like completely out of bounds, something, San Francisco levels of insanity. I, I sometimes would get a pushback when I would say that because I would talk to people from San Francisco and San Francisco real estate fueled by Silicon Valley and all the VC money and all these sort of things is in some ways the worst in the world. Uh, but in other right. world, in other ways, depending on how you kind of look and what metrics you use, is roughly the same as Vancouver, which is a city with out billions, many, 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 many billions of dollars of uh, economic uh, growth, the likes of which the world has never seen. Yeah, I always felt when going to Vancouver that it that the situations were very similar, but for unrelated reasons. So, it, to my mind, what was going on in Vancouver was that the the costs were completely out of control as compared to the incomes, which is certainly true also in the Bay Area for a lot of people, but not everyone. And and 
And so the total, the in absolute numbers, the numbers were lower in Vancouver, but all of the numbers were lower. So it kind of created the same gap. Yeah, and in some ways, which is like even more mind boggling, the absolute numbers in Vancouver were comparable to and still in some ways are comparable to San Francisco. So one of the things that I care about as somebody who has a family that, you know, the amount of space that you need as kids get larger and older and, you know, you, you kind of want to expand a little bit. It goes down, right? You want less space. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You just you just stack them up vertically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You start building bunks, yeah. bunk bed on top of bunk bed. And so uh, one of the things that I kind of have an eye on is like, oh, what will be involved in getting uh, a bigger apartment, a bigger condo? Uh, you know, detached housing being completely like who cares about that? Because an empty lot is two million dollars around in most of like Vancouver proper is at least a million dollars for an empty lot, but often two million dollars, regardless of even putting a home on it. Cities in inside cities, you're not going to be living in, in a, a detached home very often. Right? Well, it depends also what you define as in the city, because that's true. Every city has different city boundaries, which makes a lot of these stats really hard to compare because you compare like, oh, well, technically, what is Tokyo versus technically what is Seattle? And that no, no, that's thing. a great point. I also live in Oakland, but it in a detached house, but that the Oakland is divided up differently and the density isn't the same. It, it, it's so many factors. Yeah, and so one of the things that's a little bit easier sometimes to compare is like how far of a drive are you from, uh, or like what, how many miles are you from the, the core, like the business core where the jobs are, you know, is it, are you half an hour out? Are you 15 minutes out? Are you an hour and a half out? Like sometimes that's a little bit easier to compare than like technically what the city boundaries are. Um, but well, I mean, I'm only four miles so that's that's pretty that would be in the city i think yeah. most people would consider. yeah nine minutes driving yeah. so one of the things i care about is hey what would be involved in getting a bit larger apartment and so one of the things that i often try to look at is the price per square foot of, of a home sure yes um yeah, uh-huh. and so in san francisco as i understand it a fairly common price to buy uh an apartment is around or a condo uh is around a thousand dollars a square foot um ish so you've got like a thousand square foot place maybe it would be a million dollars maybe it would be 1.2 million dollars or maybe it would be eight hundred thousand. and obviously it depends a lot on the neighborhood and you can find ones that are way more sure. than that if they're in particularly fancy neighborhoods or they're wild penthouses or less than that if they're in sketchy neighborhoods but that seems to be about the average so roughly a thousand dollars a square foot uh in vancouver it is also a thousand dollars a square foot since it has dropped from its peak of just under twelve hundred dollars a square foot um and that is mind-bogglingly insane the fact that the the pricing for for space is even like it shouldn't be within 50 percent of san francisco where you have incomes in some segments double to triple what we have in vancouver it's just uh uh, it's mind mind bending. So now the the I've been sort of beating the drum of like, oh, the house market is going to crash. It's going to crash. It's going to crash for many years. And all my friends are very sick of me talking about it uh, because <laughs> I've been very wrong for a long time because it, it really went up a lot in the run up to kind of 2006, 2007. Um, and the 2008 financial crash, everybody was like, oh, OK, now it's going to correct like it did in the States. But it kind of didn't. And so it grew a lot, and then it was basically around $600 a square foot from 2008 till, like, 2015. And that's a lot of years for me to be like, hey, the market's going to go down, and then it just, like, didn't. Um, 
And so I was obviously wrong, as you almost always will be if you try to time a market of something. But then it started dramatically growing for no reason. Um, and so from 2014, like just five years ago, it was like $600 a square foot. It's like doubled since then. It got up to 1200 Depending on exactly how you calculate it and technically whether or not you say, you say oh, okay, well, we're we counting Vancouver as like Vancouver proper or do you include the near suburbs or how far you go out? Um, but yeah, it, it got up to, especially for, for new builds, like new construction for concrete it's substantially higher that and then that in like the downtown area um, but yeah it definitely got over a thousand dollars a square foot by that i've seen some numbers as much as fourteen hundred dollars a square foot which doesn't really match what i see but it's it's basically just redonkulous is the the measure so according to this one site that i just found the current average in san francisco is maybe eleven twenty five. right yeah so that's that i agree with you though that the fact that they're even if that's true, even if it's more, the fact that they even got close to each other is I- insanity. Yeah, and so the the thing that's I think particularly interesting and really underlines how much this is in like in San Francisco, it's people who have are making money in that area, right? Bidding up the housing versus in Vancouver, it being some combination of outside investment and speculation. And it's always hard to tell how much it's because, I mean, my read on it is that uh, there is some amount of been there was a bunch of outside investment and then money laundering is a whole nother thing, which we could talk about if, if that's interesting to you, that is a bit of a scheme. Um, (laughs) Who is not interested in money laundering? Okay. So we'll talk about the money laundering thing a little bit. Uh, But those two things, once they start driving up prices in a way that is detached from reality and you see prices just start going up like in jumps and jumps and jumps and then your neighbor's house goes up by 10% and then the one across the street is 10% more than that within a couple months of each other, then you start getting this mentality of, oh, real estate always goes up and you have to buy now no matter what because it's only going to go up and you can't lose money because it's only going to go up and they're not making any more land, uh, which is one of those things that is technically true, but like there's so much more ability to build more condos like as there is in san francisco like it's just about restriction of building not about the actual existence of land and so with the the prices going up was causing the prices to go up um and then eventually that has to stop because that's a pyramid scheme um, <laughs> and uh and then it eventually um hit its limit but the way that you the way that i always would make the argument and now and like went from 10 years of f- kind of feeling like a like I'm basically constantly wrong and and maybe inwardly doubting to now suddenly being like, ha I was finally right. I, incorrect economic predictor is right every what do they say about a, a broken a broken watch is right twice a day. <laughs> a yes. uh, a uh, salty non homeowner is <laughs> is right uh, once every ten years. Um, yeah, but the the thing that always kind of was extremely suspicious to economists and like even in like the economist magazine would write about like vancouver market is like super sketchy and doesn't make any sense like why is this happening is the fact that the the buying prices were just skyrocketing and incredibly high and the renting prices were high compared to the rest of canada but way lower than they should have been if the homes were actually worth that much and so you would have these homes and have now still because it's only started correcting now is that you have places that if you want to buy this like a million dollar condo costs maybe forty five hundred dollars a month mortgage ish 
um, just like at pretty low interest rates. So with property tax and stuff, that maybe costs you $5,500 a month to, to, to buy and hold. $5,500 American or Canadian? So a million-dollar condo will cost $4,500 a month at 3% interest, regardless of whether or not it's American dollars or U.S. dollars or or American Australian dollars, right? Of course, but when I think about the money we're spending, is it is it? Are you talking in? COD I've, I've been US mostly talking in Canadian dollars, which is about twenty percent less than okay. than U.S. dollars. Uh, yeah, fifty five hundred dollar CAD is like forty four thousand eighty, right? US but in the yeah, so yeah. but the math is proportional because I'm talking about like yeah, I totally understand that. So totally understand that. Just like in just for my own sanity, just trying to understand. So for a million dollar condo, it will cost forty five hundred dollars to pay the mortgage, an extra maybe thousand dollars of right. of condo fees and insurance and and uh, uh, property taxes and all of that. So maybe about fifty five hundred dollars to own that place and rent it out. Uh, but then places that cost a million dollars are renting out for like twenty five hundred bucks. Oh, so that yeah. person the. the it doesn't add up. Is so negative. <laughs> yeah, there's just no um, point. It's, it's it's way beyond like the that it's not the best way to like get interest on your money because you know at a certain uh, rent to price ratio you'll start to get corporations that come in and start buying homes and renting them out or building new homes in order to rent them out. Um, but it is way beyond the fact that it's not the best use of money. It's getting to the point where you're basically just paying people to rent, basically. Yeah. Wow. Right. The the money is going in the opposite direction with the cost of because it's just like the, that amount of money. If you just put it in a savings account, basically, or definitely like this ultra safe bonds or whatever, you would make way more money than trying to rent it out and losing all this money on strategies and stuff. And so that's a, yeah, where that's all wild. the economists are saying, like, yeah, is it is it speculation from people from foreign investment? Is it money laundering? Is it local vancouverites who have con- used the prices set by money launderers to convince themselves that pr- prices will only ever go up uh, and the answer is yes it is it is all of those things um <laughs> so the the core that i wanted to get i've been i have a bad habit of just ranting about vancouver real estate because it's grinds my gears but the core thing is that after many years of ridiculousness it seems like it's turning a corner sales have hit a 33 year low prices are starting to to maybe have, well, definitely starting to make their way back to uh, maybe having something to do with the ability for people to actually live here and the people who are actually paying for these places as opposed to speculation. So that's good to see. It makes me happy. Yeah, I hope this means that the your future is potentially brighter. Yeah, and for and, uh, and like to be clear, I am already like zeroth class, like zeroth world problems to already have i'm very lucky to have uh, we have a two-bedroom place and it's in a nice neighborhood and so there's many people like obviously if this is annoying to a software developer it's going to be (laughs) like a life crisis for somebody who is working you know even minimum wage is one thing but even somebody's making double minimum wage is extremely difficult um so it's it's just been it's not been good um and uh it's nice to see that it's it's starting to make its way if if this idea of a a housing crash especially you know speculators maybe uh getting uh what they deserve if you think speculators deserve uh monetary punishment there's a twitter account which i can link up uh who's uh called themselves mortimer 
which I think based on the profile image is maybe the name of the character from the, the, um, the big short, you know, that, that went the Steve Carell. I do know that that's a good movie, but the housing market crashing. Yeah. And so it's got like the Steve Carell from the big short avatar and a couple times a day, it's a real estate agent. And so they get the inside feed of all the transactions. And a couple times a day, they post the people who have lost the most money speculating on real estate that day. <laughs> so it's just like sold for 40 percent less than assessed value yeah. today I, that, I, yeah. that's nice well, that's 1.7 million dollars like loss it. um yeah so not to you know take too much joy in other people's sadness but you know i'll take a little bit well i i so i i, I was going to go to a different mm-hmm. fact but be, but i now i have i actually have a canada fact this week okay so, so that that's related uh, and actually, it's 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 both Canada related and also, uh, in a sense, housing related. On topic, we're keeping the flow going. Fun fact: there is an opera house where the stage is in Canada, but the audience sits mostly in America. Huh? Yeah. So this place is called the Haskell Free Library and Opera House, and it's located half in Rock Island, which is not really an island, in Quebec. And half in Derby Line, Vermont. So this isn't like Niagara Falls. It's like more north than that? Yeah, I guess, or more east, I guess I it guess. must be, right? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't... I, now, now, now I'm going to pull up a map. It is not near Niagara Falls. <laughs> because no, it's, it's, all, like, it's like almost at Maine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like... Well, it's in Vermont, but yeah, it's almost at yeah. Maine. Yeah. No, no Canadians know where Vermont is. So I have to, I have to, like, we know where Maine is because it's like the thing that hangs off the end. It's at the very bottom of Quebec. Well, Quebec is also huge. So there's lots of things that are at the bottom. Well, southeast of Montreal, southwest of Sherbrooke, <laughs> Quebec. Anyway, um, the, the, so the books in the library and the opera stage are both in Canada, but the entrance and most of the seats you sit in for the opera are in the USA. It is therefore sometimes referred to as the only library in the USA with no books, and the only opera house in the USA with no stage. Yeah, so there is no entrance from Canada, but there is an emergency exit. Uh, All visitors have to use the U.S. entrance, but you don't have to go through customs if you're coming from Canada, and you don't need to show a passport if you're moving around, but you will, since 9-11, you will be monitored to make sure that you end up back in whatever country you started in. Uh, there, there is a thick black line running through the building showing the border, kind of like if two roommates yeah. put mm-hmm. down masking tape in their sitcom apartment <laughs> yeah. after a fight. And uh, apparently a lot of people show up uh, who maybe uh, are separated by the Canadian-U.S. border and can't, aren't legally typically allowed right. to cross so that they can spend time together. It was built around 1905, and, and at that time they intentionally put it on the border First, because things were looser back then, but also because the owners wanted it to be shared equally between Canada, uh, Canadians and Americans. And it is registered as a historic building in both countries. That's so cool. I'm glad this place exists. I'm, I feel amazing? like that this is a perfect yeah. topic for the show. Yeah, it's beautiful. It really... another, another key keystone in Canada-U.S. relations is the Fun Fact podcast. Agreed. And I would also say that the, uh, I see this as a canadian u.s border fact which <laughs> we've had a few of weird weird canadian u.s border facts is definitely mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. i'm yeah, i'm interested that's in. a corner it's also kind of a cool looking building i don't know if you looked at a, at a picture yeah i'll put a link in the thing but it definitely it's distinctive yeah i don't know if they did like two different kinds of stones also from top to bottom to like more dramatize the fact that it's on the border between the two countries there's a cool uh picture that i'll i'll try to put the link in that shows you like how the how the border dissects the oh yeah the mm-hmm. building i see that 
it's pretty yeah it's pretty interesting yeah it's definitely been something it's interesting as a canadian that lives very close to the border growing up with historically the u.s canada border it's obviously so long that you can't actually police it um although you would say right. obviously the mexican border you can't police as well but like they sort of kind of try but the, the which is also true but the the canadian border is even substantially longer through just fields and fields and fields of nowhere and there isn't like a river that bisects a lot of it um and so they don't make pretense of it being like hey we're gonna stop you from going across this in a lot of places there's just uh like or sometimes there isn't but like in a lot of places there's just uh like stakes in the ground or bollards or something like that it's just like oh by the way like technically you're not supposed to go across this so you know if you could just yeah, please, don't cross you know, this just stay on the correct side uh, along zero ave um in uh vancouver which is the like the numbered avenues start at zero at the u.s border and then work their way up as they go north along zero ave there's a couple places that have um actual there's a i think it's a b&b that has a sign that they had to put up which is like warning entering and exiting over the border is like the u.s border protection has requested that we put up the sign that says please don't <laughs> There are, by the way, seats in the auditorium that exist in both countries. Uh, like that you can have like your left butt cheek in Canada and your, and your right in America. L- literally, yes. I feel like that's worth a little bit extra on the ticket. I, <laughs> yeah, I want to sit in that seat. Yeah, I, I that is extremely far away from both of us. Uh, otherwise, I would be like, let's we should do, should visit, do a fun fact live episode from. We should do one. I don't know that we will. No, I think that's probably not the ideal place. To do. No. But probably not going to be the. It certainly will not be the first place that we go for a live episode. But if if maybe someday, we'll we'll do a Kickstarter money for uh, the two of us to go to Vermont slash Quebec. Yeah, I'm also I think that like if I was going to pick like top five U.S. states that I got to visit, like Vermont would meet not quite crack. Oh, Vermont's high on my list actually. Oh, really? What what's the deal with Vermont? It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. The fall foliage. I, I think of that whole like New England area as having that. But is Vermont particularly good? I've heard really good things about Vermont. I have not been to Vermont, but I've always wanted to go. Huh, okay. Well. Just beautiful. Like the kind of the, the stereotype of New England. You yeah. Know? I just saw, I just found eight most beautiful destinations to see autumn colors and Vermont is definitely. On yeah. That okay. Well, I'm. I'm uh, I mean, you need to learn more about, uh, I think of New England as kind of like a little bit of a hand wavy, like the states are so small that they barely show up on the map. And like, I know Massachusetts and Rhode Island's funny because right. it's so small. But Vermont is like, there's no, Vermont has like no, no cities in it. Like the biggest city in Vermont is like 60,000 people. Huh. That doesn't seem like a uh, state worthy. Yeah. So the Burlington, the most populous city is the fun fact. The most <laughs> populous city in Vermont, Burlington is the least populous city to be the most populous city in a state. That's a, that's a nice meta fact there. Uh, yeah. I mean, the entire population of Vermont is only 626,000 people. Oh, okay. So we're at like the D- Dakota level here. Uh, it is ranked 49th in terms of population. All right. So then I feel like a little less bad if you're not being on my radar as like one of those really states to have a lot of knowledge about. No, no, no. You don't need to. But it's just I'm just going to tell you right now. Vermont's cool. And like maybe it's because I have a bunch of friends that are from Vermont. But I really. Statistically, that's unlikely. But yes. And yet, you know, you meet one person from someplace and they bring a bunch of other people into your life. And next thing you know, you're trying to collect them all. 
<laughs> it's very if only have six hundred twenty five thousand to go. No, it's just like Vermont farmhouses, like they have just been in my mind for a long time. But I don't know. I haven't been, but I would love to go to Vermont. So <sighs> Okay. I don't want to start a whole thing, but <laughs> when I look at I think it's yeah, a little late for that. This is no what are you talking about? We're, we'll we'll yeah, we'll figure it out. The fact that when I visit a Wikipedia page for one of these obscure states and you start reading about it. <laughs> We're insulting many Americans right now, but go ahead. I don't think of people from Vermont. If you are listening and you're from Vermont and me saying that Vermont is an obscure state. We have multiple listeners from New Westminster. <laughs> well, so. yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> but it, I feel like Vermont's like they might be uh, people from Vermont might be insecure about some things, but I don't think like what what are you talking about? We're not a, we're not obscure. Like they're they're number forty nine or like number two of fifty of most obscure. Yeah. Do you know what the fiftieth most populated state is? By the way, like the least, like the the bottom of the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the least populated state? I'm gonna go with the Lesser Dakota. No. It's it's Wyoming. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was right in shape, but not quite in location. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's easy to be right in shape when you get sort of towards the west and north of the U.S. Yeah. That just, they just start drawing squares. But maybe a like, bit oh, we got square. People yeah, like squares, sure. right? Just kind of stamp that around. Yeah. I was just going to complain about, not that I need to complain to you about this, but this thing of that they have two senators... <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, but that makes sense. I should do a whole fact about why that makes okay, sense. Okay, let's leave that for now because, I mean, one of yeah. them is Bernie Sanders. Who I should, I should do a thing. whole fun fact on why that, of all the things that are dumb about the way the U.S. does government, that's not one of them. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let you uh, change my mind on that uh, in a future yeah, Well, do you think I'll have more or less success than I did at convincing you there used to be an emperor? I feel like I, I caved on that one more easily than I expected to. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Well, um, yeah, okay, yeah, he was an emperor. Yeah, yeah. okay, I mean, sure, why not? Yeah, I see it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I yeah. think it is time for the follow-up section. You had some car-related follow-up. Yeah, I just noticed when editing last week's show that I we were talking, we were had a conversation about Tesla. Shocking that we would. And I said, discuss that. Yeah, but I said Model X like nine thousand times, and every single and it's time actually the Model, Model Ten. 3. But yeah, yeah. exactly right. Well, it's the Model 10R. Right. Uh, yeah. But I can't wait till there's a Model 10X next year. Uh-huh. And it's, it's XX and yet yeah, we're supposed to know 10X. Yeah, yeah. But so, no, I said Model X many, many times. I met Model 3. It was late, but also not really. Apology accepted, but make sure it never happens again. No. Uh, in other electric car related follow up, um, <laughs> we've talked periodically about the e-golf and the golf uh yes. and hatchbacks and how great they are and that they're the one true car yes. format that every, in which everyone agrees yeah. with especially in america everyone um and everyone. i am sorry to break the news that apparently uh volkswagen is discontinuing both the e-golf and the base golf hatchback <sighs> in america which so i knew they were getting rid of the e-golf but they're getting rid of the golf as well, well. apparently they're keeping the gti and the r the golf r because they're more profitable okay um sure but but the base golf is the base golf and then the golf station wagon um, which is the car that i have right now um not a perfect car but a a good car um in my that's my review one sentence that is a that is a bummer that's a great no i mean it's it's the i i think that we can have an entire discussion that we will not currently have about the golf sport wagon no Um, but i I, okay but we should i like i like my car but uh it always makes you sad to see someone discontinue the thing that you have and buy and you chose 
Yeah, I mean, I own an e-golf and you own a golf station wagon. So both yeah, of us so the fact sad. they're discontinuing this thing, but Canada to the rescue in a very, very rare circumstance, which almost never happens, uh, they are actually going to have a different lineup in Canada and the United States. They almost, almost all car manufacturers, if something gets continued and discontinued in the states, they don't bother keep importing it for Canada. But apparently, on a per capita basis, the the mainline base golf model sells more than ten times as many instances in canada than the united states that's amazing yeah it's here it's a very common like there's multiple of them on my street of other and not even ignoring the one i have like we live in an apartment complex and there's two other people with them and then they're like on the street and they're just everywhere they're not the number one car so i wonder if i can if i can import a a volkswagen golf from canada i'm pretty sure you I think that's hard to I'm do. pretty sure it would be like some fees but like it would be totally doable like I think it'd be a lot easier than trying to get it from Europe yeah Europe's hard although you do see cars here that have like smaller American license plates sort of on top of larger European mm-hmm. license plates uh, but yeah so just uh, if anyone's looking to get a new golf or e-golf then uh, get, get it now because apparently although supposedly the the mindset from Volkswagen is their or their plan for America is their uh, electric uh volkswagens that are going to be coming in there's going to be a totally redesigned golf coming next year which is why they're doing this but then also they're doing electric uh competitors to and variants of uh various cars that are all going to be rolling out in the next two or three years so we'll get to complain about them they they are but thus far thus far i've been not that thrilled they are doing a e vw bus though which my wife is sort of excited about well i'm glad that exists like i'm never gonna buy it but uh (laughs) the uh the electric concept that i find well okay electric concepts are always often weird uh, but the fact that vw so far has been referring to their like mid-sized crossover uh electric that's coming up as the cross like c-r-o-z no no the names the names for their upcoming cars are offensive so bad yeah just like it causes oh it's not it's not just the cross it's the id cross like i dot d dot like industrial design cross and they have like, but they have like five others of those that also have horrifically bad, bad Z-related names. Yes, they're bad, yeah. and they should feel bad. Um, there, there is a Honda EV that's only coming out in Europe, which is, I think, wonderful. Oh, what is but it? It's, what is it, it? it's like a, it's called the Urban EV, and it's it's like a complete re, or it's called the Honda E now, but it's basically like a recreation of like the first Honda. Oh yeah, with the tiny like little, little hatchback. Cubic. Yeah, like it's a like so a seventies awesome. kind of Civic right. sort of thing. Right, but it's only coming out in Europe. So, it looks fake. Like I see all these photos of it. Like there are obviously photographs of it, but it looks like yeah. something from like a PlayStation One game, kind of, because <laughs> it's so lucky. It's, I know, I know. I want, I, I want it. Okay, I think that's enough. that's enough. We got to like temper our, yeah, EV. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's corner. a corner with no facts. Yeah, no facts. Just, just sadness. sadness about. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. But more importantly. We have the most importantly, most important follow up. Should have led with this. We have important Anvil follow up. Yeah, we have. Uh, this probably is maybe definitely. It's one of the most f- uh, feedback we've ever got about any topic. It might be the number one most. <laughs> yeah. It might be. It really. So might be. last episode talked about the uh, Anvil uh, so, uh, salute that they do in New Westminster, British Columbia. They do. Uh, 21 anvil salute to on victoria day every year launching anvils up into the sky with gunpowder uh, and we actually received some information 
uh, contact uh, of some information on the history of this Anvil salute, uh, New Westminster and their Anvil launching ways from an inside source employed by the city who is asked not to be named. Yeah, we've got our first tipster. We've got an Anvil tipster. I mean, what could be cooler than an Anvil tipster? I would say that's definitely top five tipsters. Yeah. 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 Um, and so this person is is the real deal, but so I, we've confirmed that they are an appropriate source. We have confirmed it, very confirmed yeah, that they yeah. that would would know um, that yeah. the according to this tipster, the true reason that New West resorted to firing anvils instead of cannonballs for the Victoria Day salute was not because the cannons were stolen by rival capital capital Victoria BC, but rather because one year that they were doing this, the celebrants. Well, went a little far uh, in their celebration, uh, and when they went to test the cannons, perhaps after a bit too much celebratory drinking, managed to blow the wheels off the cannons, making them inoperable, <laughs> <laughs> and resorted to making the booms with what was available, which were anvils, apparently. Do you think they were just like, oh no, we have no time? This is like a very like hanukkah type story like oh no we don't have time to get more cannons well i mean i I think they were doing it on victoria day and like victoria day is when the salute is expected and then they just were like what do we have around here that'll make a lot of (laughs) noise could got like cap guns it could be like a cap gun well we've got gunpowder and we've got you got to make something that that's going to go boom yeah something got to go boom Um, and uh apparently according to the source these damaged cannons which apparently there were multiple that were damaged in this way um (laughs) these damaged cannons were it was a matter of concern since these are the cannons that were intended to defend from a potential invasion of canada by the dastardly americans uh, which is actually why the capitals were on the kind of the north side of the water both new westminster and then later victoria with the cannons pointed south yeah it is. I'm gonna do. I'll do a fun fact sometime on on the last time the U.S. invaded Canada. Yeah, I'd definitely be down for that. Um, yeah. A further tip uh, for anybody who's looking to perform a salute by launching anvils into the air, uh, which believe it or not, we actually had multiple listeners write in to tell us this particular piece of information um, <laughs> that the traditional way to light a, the gunpowder for launching an anvil uh, is not to light a fuse. What you're supposed to do is actually stack it like uh, the bottom anvil and then the gunpowder and then a playing card and then the mm. launching anvil that you put on top and then Kay. you get a red hot poker and then you take a run at it and then get the F out out of the way. I don't understand why so many people know this. <laughs> it's a it's a cultural uh, it's a cultural institution. Are Canadians just running around blowing up anvils? I think it's the we just have a good representation of New Westminsterites. We really do. Shout out to everyone listening from New Westminster. Blah, blah. The crowd goes wild. What is the demonin? New Westminster for people from New Westminster. Westminsterians. Yeah, New Mes- New Westminstonians. Yeah. Well, we love you all, and thank you for all the Anvil-related follow-up. Thank you. If anybody who has not been to the Anvil launch, uh, the salute that happens on Victoria Day, uh, this year it's happening on May 20th, uh, which is Victoria's Day. It's a holiday, so you have no excuse if you are in the general vicinity. If you're in the Pacific Northwest, travel to New Westminster, uh, and we'll put a link to the show notes how you can see the Anvils being launched in person. Yeah. Also, if one if one of our Westminster New Westminster friends could tell us what the demonym is for your population, we would. Yeah, that's it. well. We should really just kind of log them all to make sure we're being factual. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So we got an anonymous tipster now. Does that count as a deep state? Yes. 
Yeah, they're in on the inside. Yeah, two deep states. I mean, it's you know, well, Canada anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we need a we need a deep state representative in in America. We'll collect them. Maybe we could, if someone who if anyone out there listening works at the Haskell Library and Opera House, please get in. Yeah, touch. we're gonna get a we're gonna get quite the Rolodex going here. 